I have to admit I am very happy to be back here. And uh, I think the, the size of the crowd has uh, increased exponentially since the last time I was here. And I am glad, I am glad that we are moving to a bigger place. Um, might be a little too cold in the Lincoln Financial Center, so maybe we can get the Wachovia Center. It's indoor. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, we'll see maybe the flyers or the tent. We'll see what happens. <laughs> um, it's the third week. We're third week into the new cycle of, uh, uh, of, uh, of reading the Torah. And um, I'd like to give a little introduction into our whole learning session today. Those of you who have heard me speak, I, I hope that you have noticed, and uh, if you didn't, I'll point it out, that whenever I do speak, it's something that I have been taught by my teachers, that whatever we do learn, that it's very important that we learn something that's extremely relevant to us, something that is going to impact on our life, and hopefully will impact it in, the, in a better way, something that will help us improve our lives, improve the quality of our lives, and since we are talking, us Jewish religious people, the quality of life is very much, very much depends on our connection to Hashem, and that's what we're trying to do. So, um, it is extremely important that whatever we're going to take out of our learning session today is going to be something that we all can apply in our everyday lives. Interesting thing. I've pointed it out quite a few times in several places where I speak, and I always do, because I find it extremely fascinating. Like I said, it's the third week we're into into the Sefer Torah, into the Sefer Bereshit. And you open, the moment we start reading Torah anew every single year, the moment we start Bereshit, Baray Likim, the first Rashi we look at, Rashi asks us with a blowout question. What is the first mitzvah in the Torah? First of all, why is the Torah given to us all together? The Torah is giving up to us to learn the mitzvahs and to keep them, correct? Mm -hmm. Where is the first mitzvah in the Torah? More shaver don't count. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'll let everybody else answer. <laughs> the calendar, they have Rosh Kodesh. Huh? So the first, right, the Rosh Kodesh, and where is it? It's in the Sefer Shemais and Parshas book. That's not the first mitzvah. That's the first mitzvah. Good, but but since we are Jewish, so we'd like to do the mitzvahs that, that are given to the Jews, correct? Yes, you're right. Technically, there are three mitzvahs that are mentioned in the, in the Sefer Bereshis, but and the Sefer Achinuch does count in it as a, as a list of mitzvahs. However, mitzvahs, if you look in the Gemara and the Talmud Sanhedrin, Tractate Sanhedrin, it mentions these mitzvahs were repeated later on to the Jewish people. So technically. A mitzvah that was given as a mitzvah to the Jewish people, as a Jewish people, was only the first mitzvah that was given as a mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh, the Jewish calendar, the month, and that is one approximately at least in a quarter of Sfarim into us reading the Torah. So technically, we are spending the entire Sefer Bereshis and a nice part of Sefer Shemois reading soap operas. If you think about it now, look at it. The two brothers hate each other. One kills each other. One kills the other one. Correct. I think it was on days. Then you have the father gets involved. What <laughs> days of our lives? De <laughs> I, I'm not familiar. I have to admit, I'm not familiar. <laughs> but I can imagine. I can imagine whatever's going on. Right. That the um, the, the father, Lord, Lord. <laughs> 
<laughs> Lot and the story of Lot and his daughters, and and then Lot and what's going on with the Malachim, and then you're talking about the two brothers born hating each other. One tried to kill the other one, to kill the other one, and the the, the one the, the husband of Raman started traveling, kills his wife, is kidnapped. I mean, look at it. They look at this thing. The brothers get together, try to kill their brother for they because they hate him because they're just. I'm, this is all it is. It's just a lot of entertainment. I mean, it looks like Hashem had nothing better to figure. We're going to be bored for a year and a half. I mean, the entire year was way too boring. So you start off with at least a couple of months of entertainment, you know. Maybe you'll got a little competition between the TV and that. But it can't be. Correct? I mean, Hashem gave us... What does the Torah mean? The word Torah. What's Torah? Remember, I was having this conversation with my son last night. Torah comes from the word... Light? No, Torah is teaching. It's, it's a teaching. It's a teaching of life. Our life, how we're going to live our life. So, Rashi gives his answer. He asks the question. He gives an answer. I'd like to offer an explanation that I say in my own words. I believe that my explanation, and it's not really my explanation. It's really a collection, more or less, of everything else that's presented by various commentaries, and it certainly goes along with every single commentary. <coughs> there is a concept in the Torah called Maase Avos Simon Lebonim. What does that mean? The the happenings or the stories that happen to our fathers is a sign for the children. Something it's a sign for the for the for the generations to come. Mm-hmm. Now, aside from coming here and speaking every now and again, um, and aside from again from the people who've heard me speak, that I work with the I work in the kosher organization to oversee kosher food production and so on and so forth. However, it's something that I have as a passion and something that I really would like to devote really a big part of my life and it's not all my life is life coaching this is this is so this is what I do this is what I love to do and it really is a passion of mine and I'll tell you why now for those maybe who are not familiar with the actual term of life coaching um, it's extremely different from what is called traditional therapy or even traditional psychology what is life coaching what, what that does is if you just listen to the term coaching what does a coach do if you picture a coach with an athlete what a coach does in an athlete is a really successful coach is able to look at an athlete, to look his own his or her strengths, and to bring them, help that coach that person, guide them to bring those strengths to fruition, to really actualize their own personal potential. The coach doesn't change the athlete. He doesn't really even tell him so much what to do. I mean, the coach is there to show, listen, I can tell you, these are your strengths. These are not so much your strengths. And if you focus on this, and especially if you do it just like that, then you'll see how much successful you are going to be successful. It's your, really your talent, your strength, your potential, but it's not going to be actualized and can bring you to the level that you could really be. This is what a coach does. But a life coach, really, if you just apply that same definition, but to life itself, this is exactly what we do. Because life uh, gets challenging sometimes, and our feelings, our emotions get in the way and sometimes we get tied up in our personal feelings and emotions and we sometimes even know what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are and, and we try and we try really hard and sometimes we just try and we get locked in a certain way because of our, again, our feelings, our emotions, sometimes our insecurities, which happens. And we get stuck, whether it's in a personal life, personal development, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's a relationship between a husband and wife, a parent and a child, siblings, uh, friends co-workers, employers and employees, whatever it is. And what a really a life coach does, and what I have seen the really successful life coaches, really skilled life coaches do, is that sometimes in a matter of hours or even minutes, 
are able to change a person's life completely like this 180. I have seen where a couple on the break of divorce, where people literally are literally at each other's throats, within an hour became the happiest couple ever. Pretty much you can look at them and they are. And, and you see them actually years down the line and they're still happily married and they're just, they're absolutely ecstatic um, about the relationship. Um, people who were on, at a level of a depression were literally on the verge of a suicide. Again, within an hour or two hours become people who are the happy, happiest people you've ever seen. This is what a life coach does. And the interesting thing, what's beautiful about life coaching is that we don't need to change people. Well, actually, what we try to do is try to help the person actualize, realize and actualize who they really are. That's the beautiful thing. You don't need to change. You just have to be yourself. You have to be yourself. That's why it's so easy. It's so simple. And once you're able to point this out to people, they just, you, you see how people light up. You could tell, you could see a person when they begin the, the coaching intervention and you could see like shoulders down, head down, the, the expression on the face, they're just, you could see how they're real with pain and you look at them an hour later, shoulders back, head up, straight, smile from ear to ear, eyes light up, it's absolutely incredible. And this is what I love to do. <coughs> happens to be that the more I delve into life coaching, the more I realize what the most successful life coaches, there are people you know, who charge thousands of dollars an hour, what the most successful people in today's day and age, what I, when I see them do and what I learn from them, I find it all the time. I find it all the time. And the more I see it, and these are, these are concepts that are literally in today's, day, in today's day and age are revolutionizing the concept of psychology. People are all of a sudden now beginning to open up to these ideas where I find it being described two, three thousand years ago in our holy books. And it's, I find it absolutely mind-boggling. That's how I think. That's how I realized that actually there's validity to life coaching because it's absolutely supported by the Torah. So, what the Book of Bereshit does is basically life coaching. What the book, what the Book of Bereshit does, is it shows us how our forefathers had dealt with certain situations, and they are teaching us how to handle them these same situations or similar situations in our personal lives. <coughs> now, if we go throughout, throughout the year and we celebrate various holidays, Pesach, Shavuos, Tisha B'Av, Shoshanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Hanukkah, Purim, all these things are timed very, very precisely. And the reason we're celebrating at that specific time of the year and the specific time is so crucial that our sages at one point in time created a law that said if you don't live in the land of Israel, you're going to have to keep two days. Anybody wants to keep two Yom Kippers? Right, not yet. That's one thing that we didn't get. But at least, but everything else, when it comes to Pesach, each day, each side, two, two holidays, right? Sukkot, Roshan is a little bit different. Sukkot, uh, um, Shavuot, two days. Now, I'll tell you a problem with that. Really big problem. At least one I'll point out to you. Let's say we take in, in Israel or in the Torah, Pesach takes, how many days? Seven. Seven days. We keep eight. Men, at least, do we put on tefillin on the last day of Pesach? We do not. It's Yom Tov, right? It's holiday. We don't put on tefillin on the last day of on, on Yom Tov. So, the Shulchan Aruch says that if you don't put on tefillin at least one day, 
you're causing yourself really, really big problems. Really, really big problems. So our sages, the Chachomim, took away our mitzvah film and created another day of holiday just to make sure that we don't miss out on whatever it is the message of Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot comes when it comes around. Because the timing is so precise that we'd rather take one extra day and we'll take away even the mitzvah of tefillin, but to make sure that we don't miss out on that day of Pesach, Sukkot, and Shavuot. Why? So, this is basically a Kabbalistic concept. I, I don't know Kabbalah. I don't understand it. But these are concepts that have been taught to us by people who did understand them, and they told them we take them for their face value because they're just... The concept itself makes sense. We don't dwell into Kabbalah itself. So... There is such a concept that at one point in time, our forefathers had done something absolutely incredible and absolutely out of this world, in the spiritual way, of course. That had set forth a certain type of energy that comes back every single year, specifically in that time of the year. And if we tap into the energy, if we connect to the energy, so then we could do just as they did. When it comes to Pesach, whatever it is that given the Jewish people the ability, the strength, and the connection to go out of Mitzrayim, to go out of Egypt, that energy comes back every single year. And yes, remember what we do, we say on every single year, and I we say that every person has to see themselves as they are going out of Mitzrayim right now. What does that mean? I mean, do we need to take a trip to Egypt? Some do, but do we have to? Probably not, I guess. Certainly weren't expected to. <coughs> not with the base prices <coughs> and the service. <laughs> Obviously, uh, Egypt, Mitzrayim, the concept of Mitzrayim, it's, 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 it's a spiritual concept that represents something. It's our own personal Mitzrayim. What does the word Mitzrayim mean? It's something that constricts, something that keeps us from breaking free, from connecting that we're supposed to connect. So when that time comes around, our forefathers had set forth a certain type of energy that now is get carried on through every single generation, every single year it comes back. And if we tap into that energy that specific time of the year, we can really connect to it. And we can do it too. Whatever they did on their level, we can do it on ours. Shavuos, receiving of the Torah. We can receive whatever it means. That's why it's so important to really understand what happened. We're not going to go into every single way until we get maybe in Wachovia Center, we'll have a little bit more time. We'll, connect, we'll spend a little more time on it. But, but every time, that's why when the holidays come around, when the holidays come around, it's so important to really, really to understand the purpose, why we're doing it, what we're doing, why, what's the point, what happened then, what's the connection. That's why it's so crucial. And every single time it's like that. Our forefathers, with every, every single step of their life, what they had done, they had created that particular energy. And that, created, that energy is a reserve in the universe for us. <coughs> So when we go through the book of Bereshus, <coughs> what we do, what we really take out of the book of Bereshus, is that we learn those steps that our forefathers had taken, and which had brought them to the level of connection that it did. And that energy is now reserved for us to tap into. And this is really what we get out of Sefer Bereshus. So we get to Parshas final Lech Lecha. And we are more or less finally introduced to a personality called Avram. Now, he's briefly mentioned uh, at the end of the last week's parsha, but just really just a, as a name, but as a personality 
we actually meet him just now. Now, <coughs> there is a medrash, and the medrash really, if you think about it, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. And it's even a little bit scary at some point. The medrash says that every single person is obligated every single day of their life to say, when am I going to reach the level of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? This is what we have to ask ourselves. <coughs> is that really possible? Is it really possible for us to reach the level of Ram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? Maybe one of them, but not all three. <laughs> <laughs> You must be on a much higher level. <laughs> anybody? Any, any more? Anybody? Went, went from no to at least one. Anybody goes three? No? Anybody? <laughs> I'll, just give, I'll just give you a little much. I'll give you an example. A child is born into a family. And, unfortunately, a child is born absolutely crippled. No legs. Uh, is, uh, no legs. And he's growing up, and he's feeling very down about himself. And the parents start telling him, you know what? Don't worry about it. One day when you grow up, you're going to be able to run a marathon. And you're going to win the marathon. And they start telling him every day. And he's listening and he's thinking about it. Really, wow. Marathon. But then, the more he, then he sees what a marathon is and he sees people running and then he looks at himself and he says, wait a minute, what are you talking about? How in the world am I going to run a marathon? Well, what are you doing to me? You're going to run a marathon. And then, he says, no, I'm not going to. I, Hello, take a look. No legs. How in that can't run by definition means legs moving, you know, one after the other. You don't have any. The marathon. Oh, well, in reality, if you think about it, what would you say to parents like that? I mean, it's a, I would say that's absolute, absolute, total emotional torture. And you say somebody something that you know is never going to happen, yet you tell them, don't worry, you can do it. I mean, you get a person's hopes up, hopes up, and then finally comes to a point the person realizes it's absolutely not possible. What a devastating blow to a person's confidence, to his moral state. I mean, that, that's a good way to get somebody into a real depression. Right? Well, let's say, let's say a person, a child is born, but a child is born with a problem, a difficulty. But we know that if the child grows up and he works hard, and he goes to whatever physical therapy and other therapy and training and working on exercising, he can really get past his problems. Mm-hmm. And even though the problem, as it's it looking now, in the beginning, looks really challenging, really, really challenging. Looks nearly impossible, but just a little bit possible. But he goes through everything he has to go through, and if he does, he can run the marathon. And he can win. As much as, a disadvantage, as of a disadvantage he has right now, but he can what would you say then? And the parents say, you know what? If you are if you work hard and if you push yourself and you don't give up, you can do it. What would you say like that? The parents like that? Well, now we have some encouragement going on. And if it's done right, he can do it. There's a little bit of a controversial story that I wanted to bring as a real example to this. And I'll tell you why it's a controversial story. There is a, an athlete, an American-born athlete. His name is Lance Armstrong. He was a bicyclist who, um, and more or less in the middle of his career, was a successful bicyclist, and in the middle of his career was diagnosed with testicular cancer, which had spread to a decent part of his body. And for somebody who rides a bicycle for a living, that could be quite devastating. So not only he fought his cancer and won, he went on to win 
seven championships of Tour de France. Now, the reason why I say it's controversial because later on he was found to uh, be using some performance enhancing drugs. Um, however, the way I look at it is, okay, you, he did use them and he maybe won. To tell you the truth, all athletes use performance enhancing drugs. Just some are caught, some are not. <laughs> but the fact is that a person had a will and a drive to get to that level and he pushed and he persevered could be with some help of some things, whatever that may be. But you see the person in a, it's, it's a, in, a, in a situation where anybody would have been absolutely crushed, he didn't give up. He pushed and he won. So let me ask you a question. If Hashem is saying to us, through the words of our sages, <coughs> that every single one of us has to say to ourselves, when are we going to reach the level of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? Is Hashem is just torturing us? Or because He says it, we actually can't do it? Me? Shmerala? Me? I, yes. Yes, you can. Yes, sir. Hashem can work a miracle. He can make the relentless man run if He wants to. The question is, what do we do to deserve that kind of miracle? How do we make ourselves good enough? Hashem, well, it's not good enough. Nobody is that good. Why not? It's not a question of good. But I, we're going to have to. That we would have to get a little bit. So we have to get a little bit sidetracked. So I'm not going to do that now. Perhaps maybe we'll come back to it at the very end, or maybe we'll make a special lecture on that specific topic. So I hear it because the question is extremely important. Um, uh, it's not a question of how, what it takes to be good enough. It's not a question of good enough. There's a. We have to understand what a miracle is, why it happens, and to whom, and what it takes to get to that point. I hear you. Okay, but it obviously it does happen because there's something called the Nisayan and and each Nisayan in itself carries the word nace. It's part of the code, mm-hmm. which part of each Nisayan is actually nace a miracle. So every time we're faced with a challenge, that a question of good enough. It's when we're faced with a challenge, so there's a miracle within that challenge. More or less, I'll give you a very very quick description. So if you have to jump over a cliff, and let's say there is seven feet, some people can't say, but let's say I can only jump. Seven feet and only jump six feet and let's say fifteen inches. No. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I maybe start with pound. I'm sorry. Eleven, right? And eleven inches. If I can jump six eleven and I can't jump seven, so that one inch. Um, there's a there's a joke I remember we used to say when we were kids. Um, a, a tourist group came to this little mountainy village and the, the tour guy's taking him around, taking him around. And he says and then he walks him by this this, you know, this cliff in the mountain the space over there and he says this is where we have our jumping over the you know over, is that right over the cliff competition Chasm. Huh? Chasm. right whatever right the competition and uh, this is where the competition but he can jump to the other side like, okay fine then he takes him a little bit further and he says well this is the cemetery this is everybody who doesn't make it to the other side <laughs> <laughs> and then finally he walks into this one big grave he says this is our champion he only missed the other side by one inch you know? <laughs> this is the champion <laughs> Right? So that could be a bit of a, that could be a bit problematic. So the thing is, what happens is that Hashem says, if you can only jump your six eleven, and this and the space they need to cover is seven, if you put in your one hundred percent, one hundred, not ninety nine point nine, and you do your six eleven, I'll carry you the other one, right? And you'll make it to the other side. Right. So it's not a question of how good you have to be. 
we just have to put in our 100% in each particular challenge that we have to that we have to um, undertake that's just a very quick brief answer and I'm going to get back to, uh, to the main topic so now in order for us to really be able to get to the point where we can be like Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov first thing we have to understand who were Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov we just really at least need to know who they were to even try to get there it's hard to get to any point if you don't know where we're going Right? Where are going? I don't know. Somewhere. So, all of a sudden, this uh, personality called Avram, at the moment it's just Avram, it's not even Avraham yet, it's only Avram, shows up. Now, it's a bit challenging because the first, he actually shows up on the horizon, he's 75 years old. Mm-hmm. So, we have no clue which sports he played, <laughs> which team he was a fan of. I mean, Phillies or Yankees or Rangers or whatnot, right? So we have no clue, right? Which hobbies, right? Did he play baseball? Not, I mean, it's, it's, it's challenging. So that... <coughs> so, however, through some secret network that we have called Our Sages, who passed some information to us through the Midrashim, we learned quite a bit of his life of what happened up until then. And what we find out is that at some point in life, Avram Avinu discovered Hashem pretty early on in life. And he decided more or less to take on the whole world. And he goes through his life taking on the world one step at a time. Now when we do finally connect, finally we do see this personality of Avram Avinu at the age of Avram, not Avram Avinu, Avram, at the age of 75. Very interesting, we catch him at a very interesting point in his life. Hashem commands him to go. Lech lecha. Go. Where? Go. What do you mean? <laughs> Can I please tell me? Like GPS. All right? Destination? I don't know. <laughs> well, when you know, let me know. <laughs> what do you want me to do? <laughs> but Hashem says him, go. When you know the challenge, whatever the challenge is, you have to climb a cliff where you have to climb a mountain. Um, Everest, whatever, however tall it is, right? You have to do, you have to lift something, you have to do, whatever it is that, it do, that you need to do. Once the challenge is described and defined, okay, so I could sit down, I could figure out, okay, in order for me to get there, this is what I have to do. This may be a little bit harder, maybe a little bit easier, but I could actually, I could make the steps and get there. Well, what about when somebody tells you a challenge, but what is the challenge? You'll find out. I don't know. You know, one of, the, one of the most important definitions in life coaching is when we speak to people, in order for a person to make any type of changes in their life, you really have to first know what you want. Because if you don't know what you want, you certainly don't know how to get there. If a person feels, says, I'm stuck. Okay, so what do you want to do? I don't know. Well, when and how do you want me to help you? Knowledge, clarity, is real power. Because once you know where you need to go, you can plan out the path. <coughs> or what if you don't need to go? Don't know where you go. Hashem says to Abraham, go. I will guide you. Do you understand what the real challenge is? The real challenge is to take, to understand that I don't know my next step and have an absolute, total, 100% trust in Hashem and Hashem will lead me to the next step, even though I'm taking my family, I'm taking basically what I have, 
and I'm dropping all my security, all of my certainty that I have right here where I am, my home, my family, my extended family, all my support, and we go. Imagine getting the car, throwing your kids, I don't know, just a little bit of food, some pretzels, whatever it is, and go. And Hashem will guide you in the next step. Yeah, my love will kill me probably. But <coughs> right? You have to know where you're going. Hashem is asking Abram to trust. Now, once again, 75 years old. And through various uh, teachings of our sages, Chazal, we've learned that Avram has done some pretty, pretty interesting, pretty tremendous things in the name of Hashem. He was willing to be thrown into a fire and be roasted alive. He was willing to take on the world and he was, he was put in the dungeon and the underground for years and years and years. <clears throat> he was willing to do quite an extensive amount of things, very, very serious challenge to take upon in the name of Hashem. So we know by the age of 75, he was a pretty firm dude. I mean, like, like for real. Seriously. When Hashem starts speaking to Avram, and He tells him, I want you to go. I, once again, keep in mind, 75 years old, and up until, he started, he started at the age of 3. Now we're talking about 72 years of serious, serious work in connecting to Hashem. And being unwilling to give up His life. And willing to take on the world. And he's done this for 72 years. At this point, when Hashem says to Avram, I'm going to tell you where to go, go. Do you think Avram would listen or no? Of course he would listen. Of course he would, right? Let's, what does it tell you to say? Hashem says to Avram, I will make you into a great nation. You will have a bracha. You will have financial gain. You will have everything. Hashem is convincing Avram to go. You hear? Sure. He's actually, I mean, it's said in three words, basically, in the Pasuk, but we could certainly imagine the conversation must have took a little longer, whatever that was. Hashem went out of His way to convince Avram to actually do what He's asking Him to do. I mean, don't you think you would just expect Him just to say, and Avram Avinu, aye, aye, sir. Jump up and go. Don't you find that kind of peculiar? Like God had to give him a sales pitch? Yeah. Give you another one. The next passage. Right there. Avram took his wife Sarai, Sarai and, and his nephew Lot and he went, what do you mean he took him? He picked him up, one, one arm, the other one, the other one, tossed him on his shoulder. What does it mean he took him? So, it doesn't say it right here, but there's a place in the Zohar where it says, where he took, he says he took them with words. He convinced them to go. He convinced them. Honey, Sarah, my dear, I know we've been together for a long time, and we've served Hashem for a long time. But you know what? Hashem is telling us to go. Well, where are we going, honey? I'm not sure. I'm not sure yet. But Hashem says go. Really. You want me to... This, we're going to drop everything that we have. We're going to go out in the desert. We don't know if we're going to find food. Yes. Really. Don't, but don't worry. Hashem says go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what are we going to eat tomorrow? Don't worry. So what does it mean? 
Avram actually had to go and convince Sarah, I guess a lot too, Sarai a lot, to really rave them up to be able to go with him. After him, he was he got in his own cell sales pitch, and Hashem brought him up emotionally and raved him up to go. Then he had to go and do the same thing. Hello, we're talking about Sarah. Sarah Emanu, same thing, no? This is a pretty spiritual lady. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about probably a lady who had the snoot, you know, up to her nose, you know. As from as it gets. A uh, lady who was... Uh, go ahead. After 72 years of, of his relationship with Hashem and surviving these 10 tests, these challenges... I well, not up to 10 yet, but this is, I think, this like, depending on the count, I think this is like a number 6 or 7. But, yeah. but this... But still, he's yeah. He's got confidence, I guess, at that point that this is real and he can, he but, can listen but, and he'll... No, you're right. But I'm saying is it, didn't, it wasn't enough. Hashem had to go out of, his way, out of his way to actually convince him to go. You see, a whole, there's a whole sales pitch. You're right. As a Reuben is saying. He had to explain, don't worry. It's going to be good for you. It's going to be good and you're going to have children. And, and like Rashi says, because usually they're all... That's all the things that technically makes it more problematic to know you'll have children you'll have money you'll have success you'll have you'll become a great person everything and he, he, he really gave it to him till he really got his attention and then Avraham went and in his own term did the same thing to his friends to Sarah and Lot I mean once again talk about Sarah do you think if Avraham all of a sudden comes and says you know what honey Hashem said we gotta go dude I'm back up out of here no I mean, he went out and he gave her the whole speech that whole speech Sales schmoozer, maybe even better. I don't know. It was a better salesman. I don't know. It wasn't there. But he had to convince her. I'll give you another one. Comes a point where Yaakov, after being having all his four wives and having eleven children, finally gets fed up enough with his shver, with his with, <laughs> with his with that beautiful of a beauty of a person, his father-in-law lover. Uh, and after all, everything that's been done to him, right? And he takes his wives aside one night, and he says, "Dear ladies, we gotta go." But it's not just we gotta go. He didn't say we didn't say we gotta go. He gives a whole long speech. You know what? Look what we have gone through. What your father has done to me, to you, to our children, to everything. Look what it's been. And, and look at this. And look at this. And look at this. And look at that. And you know what? And finally, he says, "Hashem had come to me, and Hashem said." We gotta go because it's gonna be good and it's gonna be great. Again, you see a sales pitch. Once again, we're talking about the mothers of the entire Jewish people. It's pretty from ladies. Once again, do they do they think Yaakov was one of those you know prankster guys? Says, oh, by the way, Hashem came to me. We gotta go. Right? When are you gonna start? Yeah, right. You know, well, I mean, you probably had a few more, a few few too many beers last night. You know, whatever it was. Right? You would expect them to just say salute and. Click the heels and out. Oh, Yaakov goes and he gives him a whole speech one more time. You want to hear a few more? Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, "Take your brother Aaron and the sons. Take that word again. What does it mean? Go and explain to him the schar of what it's like to be a coin. Can we imagine what a what a life of a coin was at the time of the Beis Hamikdash, the time of Mishkan? I mean, you talk about pressure. Yeah." Talk about pressure. I mean, these people couldn't, for a split second, you couldn't lose focus, otherwise you're dead. Right. What a life that is. I mean, you are. You talk about selfless, complete giving for, for Claudius Earl, day in and day out. 
And once again, we're talking about Aaron. Seriously, a Froom dude. Once, I mean, prophet, everything that he has seen and everything he has done, yet he tells Moshe, go and convince him, go tell him. Kach as Halevim, go take Levim. Tell them the schar. Go explain to them what merit, going, what what reward they're going to have from the hard work that they're going to do. Sanctum's pretty, pretty intense life to be a lady at the time of the Beis Hamikdash and the time of the Mishkan. Pretty intense, tough. Don't just stop. I mean, again, we're talking about Levim. Levim, remember Levim? Levim who never was subjugated in the land of Egypt. Why? Because they were the only ones who never stopped doing Brismila. They never, the ones who never fell into Avodah or into idol worship, they remained totally true and faithful to Hashem. Levim were the only ones who did not, even for a little bit of Iota, did not fall for the golden calf. The ones who strapped the sword to their, to their, to their side and went and killed the people who went and uh, bowed down to Avodah we're talking about Levi. I mean, again, Moshe Ben comes and says, you know what? Hashem said, this is your job. We'd certainly expect them to just follow the order. Nope. So let me tell you something. Very often, there are people who are very serious. A lot of us are. I mean, people who come here, if you take a night out of, your, out of the week, and you come here, Instead of, I'm sure there's all kinds of very important things going on right now. Somebody, some kind of, somebody's playing today. Especially in Philadelphia, that's pretty important. Thanks the World Series. No? If you say so, I, <coughs> I'll take your word for it. I'll take your word for it. I will take your word for it. But the fact is, very often, we want, we get inspired with something. And we even surround ourselves with good people, good people, honest people, hardworking people. And so you, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do that, you do this, you do this, you do that. And you can last for a little while even. And these people are good, they mean well, they try to help. But little by little, little by little, little by little, that begins to wear down. Their, their emotion, their feeling, their drive begins to wear down. Why? Because... Everything they have been done, they've been doing up until now is based on their relationship with you. And you feel okay, it's a good thing, it's an important thing, and you feel that it's important, we'll be there for you. But if these people are not connected themselves to the, to the goal, to that same focus, then what they do is they're doing basically based on your energy, on your focus, they're trying to be there for you because they're friends, because they're trying to help you. And when there's no connection, little by little, that begins to tear down. And just like people who, you know, one see, there's one day a year when probably 99% of population, at least in this country, take, make all kinds of, um, what are they called? Um, resolutions. Resolutions. Which lasts for about half, depending between half an hour and two hours, depending <laughs> how good the food is at the party they're at. And then, okay, maybe next year, maybe tomorrow, and that's pretty much the end of it. And so, how come there's whether I don't know exact the number, but 95 percent or it's 99 percent of people fail, but yet there's always that one percent that sticks to the goal. You know what the difference is? The difference is very simple, very very basic life coaching concept. If you're doing something because you're doing it based on your willpower, willpower you can compare to lifting weights. That's your emotional strength, your emotional muscle. 
as strong as you are, your muscle is going to get fatigue at one point in time. Imagine if you're trying to roll up a heavy barrel up a mountain, and you could be very strong, and you get very intense, and you push, and you push, and you push. But comes a point, if the barrel's heavy enough, and the hill is steep enough and long enough, you eventually your muscles will get fatigued, and you will collapse, and the barrel will roll over you, and roll down the slope, crash whatever it is in its path, and who knows whatever damage is going to do. And that's what happens. People take upon take on all kinds of challenges, but if it's based solely on their willpower, they push, they push, they push, and it comes to a point very often when people crash and it completely burnt out, and the result is usually at the end usually worse off than they were before they started. There is that fraction of people that instead of doing things based on their willpower, they actually connect to their purpose. What they do is they create for themselves a very great and beautiful looking future. And that future pulls them. Rather than pushing the, them pushing themselves up a slope, you have like that little, you have like, um, what do you call it, like the ski lift, right? And whatever that is, there's a rope that actually pulls you in. So you don't have to... Yeah, every now and again you may have to use your willpower, but that's only every now and again. Whereas when you have that future ahead of you, and the future constantly re-excites you, constantly reignites you, constantly makes you wake up with more strength every day because you're another step closer to your goal. <clears throat> what Hashem taught Avraham Avinu, what Hashem took taught all of us, and what Avraham Avinu had passed on to his children, and hopefully it's something that we're going to learn, is that no matter which goal, which task we undertake, we have to connect to the goal. We have to connect to that purpose. We really have to connect. And in the Shoma level, we have to connect. And if we want people to follow along, we have to connect. We have to get them to the point to connect them as well. A quality of a true leader is not a person who knows what needs to be done and tell people what to do, tells people what to do. But a person who can ignite the people, ignite the masses to the level where people will be so connected to the goal, to the poor, to the full goal, connected to that future that they would want to do it, they would want to do it. <clears throat> One example which is as, as painful it is sometimes for us to admit or to even think about, about someone who we certainly don't like too much to say the least, but as an example, we could certainly understand it. You, talk, you think about Adolf Hitler in Machshimoy a person who was able to, whatever, a person or not a person, whatever he was, but the fact is that he was able to ignite millions of people in this insanity of absolute insanity. I mean, he was, a, he was a brilliant man, basically, in the way that he did it, but the absolute insane way of this... This, uh, this idea of being the super nation and just, just about annihilating everybody else and especially the Jews how they how he got people to follow this this craziness I mean millions of people who were standing there and just leaving and breathing every single minute minute with with his with everything that every word that came out of his mouth you know if you look at if we look at today's day and age if we look at the people who call themselves leaders in today's generation you know as I usually say as an example, um, 
the war that took place in Israel a few months ago. And it, I remember this when uh, Rabbi Moshe Harbiv, so a lot of you probably know, is a, uh, is a rabbi in Beit Rambam. I remember when he just came to America, he, just come, he had just come to America from Israel. And it was one of those, I think there was a 2006 Lebanon war at the time. And I remember he said that if you listen to the Israelis, at any time, any type of a conflict, every single Israeli will tell you they know exactly what needs to be done at this point. Every single one of them knows exactly what to do, except for one person. There's one person who doesn't know what needs to be Every single time that person ends up being a prime minister. <laughs> Everybody knows exactly what needs to be done. Now, it, it, it is foolish to think that we, we don't even have, probably to a fraction of 1%, that we don't have the understanding of what Prime Minister needs, needs to deal with at the moment of a crisis. Not forget the moment of any time. We have no idea what intelligence he's dealing with, what other leaders or so-called leaders are relating to him at the time, what pressures he has, what effects every single move is going to, is going to make on the rest of the world, and, and specifically on that particular country. I mean, we have no clue. So we certainly cannot possibly judge what he's doing and why. We really don't know. Whether he's doing the right thing or no or not, we certainly cannot say. So the fact, whatever decision that he had made at the time or whatever other people involved at that situation, yeah, we all said, yeah, you have to go and destroy Hamas and go into Gaza and kill them all and wipe them all and whatnot, right? You know, we are brainiacs, we are the geniuses because we're sitting right here, we all know what needs to be done he's the only guy that doesn't know what to do he's got all the intelligence, only he doesn't know what he's doing so, I do feel that I'm sure he's making the best decision that he can and he's not a stupid man under the circumstances but there's one thing that I do have a problem with the problem that I have is that the so-called leaders, not even talking about uh, this country's people who call themselves leaders or whatever they call whatever they are. But, but even there, there is no connection between leaderships and the, leadership and the people. No matter what you think is going to be the right approach, or what's going to be the right um, action to take, when there is that open connection between the leadership and the people, when when the leaders are the people who are able to excite everyone to the point that we're all one. That we're, no matter which path we take, we're going to follow it 100% together. And we're not going, I'm not going to, the leader is not going to tell that to the people. He, you have to rave people up. You have to excite them. You have to bring them all up. The people should be standing on the street screaming, yes, 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 yes. I'm ready to drop everything and go. This is what Hashem taught Avram. This is what Avram taught his wife. And this is what Torah is teaching us. We could be a leader of a country. We could be a leader of a city. We could be a leader of a neighborhood. We could be a leader of a household. Sometimes we need to be a leader to ourselves. No matter which position we undertake, where we are, where we, are we have to understand in order to make any changes, whether it's within ourselves, whether we're going to try to lead other peoples along with us. That connection is what's going to make a difference. That connection is what's going to be a decide, uh, a, what's going to decide whether or not we personally will succeed or 
our group will succeed. If we connect, and if we understand, in order to get other people to connect, we have to understand people of who they are, not what we want them to do, but what, what they can do, what they want to do, and help them want to do the right thing. This is the true definition of leadership. And this is what we learn from this question. Thank you for listening. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.